Well, I uh, have the privilege of introducing our speaker this morning. Um, she is a longtime friend, known friend and trusted agent of Indy Vineyard Church, um, somebody I have the pleasure of working with, our, uh, our children's pastor, Heather Jesse. So yeah, encourage her, Heather, come on up. So, <laughs> there's lots of things I appreciate about Heather. Uh, one of those that I will highlight this morning is she just wants more of Jesus. Uh, not just to have an encounter with him, uh, she wants that, but to have him working uh, what he does, the transforming power uh, in her life, and just that she's told, told Jesus there's nothing that's off limits uh, in her life. And so I just love how she's modeled that um, for our kids, our staff, um, our small group, and any of you who've had the, had the chance to interact with her. So I'm excited to hear what she has to share with us, so I'll, I'll pray for you and hand it over to you. Jesus, thank you so much for Heather. Thank you for the work that you are doing in her. Thank you for this message that you've given her. And, um, and so, Heather, we bless you in the name of Jesus. Um, bless the message that he's given you. We bless um, your lips, uh, your eyes, your ears uh, to continue seeing and hearing um, what the Lord is doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Sorry, logistical issue I forgot about. Oh, it's good to be up here. Um, I am a little awkward. This is my second time, so. But I'm going to do my best not to go through my inner dialogue. So we had a, we had a meeting about that afterwards. <laughs> That's good. I'd have my tissue because, you know, I, when the Lord moves, I'm a cr I've become a crier. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. So he is the hunger, and he is the food. We're going to start in Matthew 14, 13 through 21, and I'm just going to go ahead and get right to it and start reading. When Jesus had heard what had happened, <clears throat> he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from, from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You need to give them something to eat. We have only five loaves and two fish, they said. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to, he, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They ate and were, all, and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were about 5,000. Besides, we're not including women and children. 
Um, a lot of times when we talk about this story, at least for me, in the past, the first place I think about is he multiplied the food and the miracle of just sort of what he did, and it's just amazing. Or maybe we've talked about the disciples' posture and their journey to understanding what Jesus was doing. A little context, a little backstory is Jesus had just heard about, well, I've heard it's cousin, I've heard we're not really sure, but a close family friend, close family member who was just killed. Um, and I tend to, to want to think more about Jesus like me, like after my dad died, I was a hot mess. And so that's probably what he was. He wasn't just cried a little bit and then he was probably fine because he was sort of God, right? I tend to think he was more like us. Like he invited humanity into himself to be like us. And so he was probably snotty maybe, tear-streaked face, a little bit more like us than maybe what I'm used to or what I'm comfortable thinking about. And so he had set out on his boat, and he wanted to go have some face time with the Father, which is what I call being on my face before the Father. Um, and the disciples in their own journey were on this, like, path of trying to understand who Jesus was, his message, and sort of how it even impacted their life. Um, and sort of undoing everything they thought they knew about the kingdom and what they had been taught. And um, even as they were asking the disciples or excuse me, even as they were asking about feeding the people, I don't think they had any understanding that Jesus himself was going to be the food. Um, and the crowd of 5,000, I think there were a variety of reasons they were there. I think the notoriety of who Jesus was and the stories had gotten out for sure, his popularity, um, and they sort of probably wanted to see for themselves who Jesus was. And they, you can't not stay when you begin to see healing, right? Like, that draws you in. Um, he was gaining a popularity, and maybe they were curious what it was about, and they wanted to witness it for themselves. But when I read this passage, what sticks out to me, at least this past couple of weeks, is the crowd that was on the hill. They were there, and they had no understanding of what was happening, but they stayed, and they were hungry. Like, they followed Jesus, and they stayed, and they were hungry. They spent all day, they first, they didn't do any of their normal daily stuff. And so I was trying to think about what it would be like for them in their normal lives, and I really don't know. Um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not a biblical scholar, and I don't like to always read about things. I'm sorry, John. My husband's a huge, he's very smart, very, he loves to read and all the things, so... I infuriate him sometimes. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking about Connor Prairie. So if you've ever been to Connor Prairie, it's like a living history museum. It's an old 1830s, something like that town. And for them to do one thing, it probably would have taken 20 steps. So they couldn't just go get water. Well, maybe they could. Maybe make butter. That's more of a thing. So that would have been a whole series of events just to get butter or just to do one thing. And so there was a lot of things that they had to set aside just to follow Jesus. Um, not really even knowing what they were getting themselves into. Um, to listen to him and in listening to him, watch and begin to gain some understanding. Um, the newness probably had not worn off. Um, the anticipation of bring, bringing around Jesus was probably similar 
um, to being around maybe a famous person today. Um, a famous person that you don't really know, but you feel like you've heard about. Um, and I would imagine that some of what he was talking about, some of what he was doing was upending really sort of their thoughts, their ideas, their beliefs. Um, but they still weren't really fully sure what was going on because he wasn't speaking to their souls, which is where your mind, your will, and your emotions reside. He was actually speaking straight to their spirits. And I think it was probably, I would imagine it would be, have been an unfamiliar feeling because they didn't know what they were hungry for or even that they were hungry. Um, yeah. Um, because along the way, they had been watching, they'd been paying attention, and they had noticed what he was doing. Sorry, as soon as I hear that door, I'm like, I think kids. Sorry, I got to get, whoop, focus. Um, he was healing them, and I imagine based on the way he was speaking to them, because it would be the way that the Father would speak to me, because he is so kind, and he is so gentle, that it drew them in, in, and their unfamiliar hunger began to grow. In verse 18, Jesus, in his response to the question of the disciples and their dilemma, bring them to me, there was a simple answer, and it was the same one that he had been giving up until now. He was the answer. Whatever the question was, he was always the answer. They had been with him and had witnessed all the miracles and listened to him teach. And all the while, he was displaying what the answer was, but they didn't, they didn't necessarily see it. In all of his grieving, um, in his, you know, tear-streaked, face. Let's try that one again. Um, he wasn't, like I said again, he wasn't unlike us. I realized I've gone over this a few times, and this is an internal thought, so I'm going to say it anyway, that I've already had said this, so I'm, give me just a second to figure out where I was. But, um, ah, yes, thank you, Lord. What I loved about this, the humanity of Jesus, is he wasn't so unfamiliar with the hunger because he knew what it was like as a little boy to come in from playing hungry, sitting at his mother's table ready to eat. But he also knew the hunger that drew him, just not then in the story, but drew, would eventually draw him to the olive grove where he'd fall on his face in front of his friends because he was hungry for the father. But you find time and time again he will draw himself away to be with the Father for a long time, to be with the Father, to be fed, to be filled up. And I wonder if when he was praying and breaking the bread, if they would recall previously he had said that he was the bread of life, that he called himself the food. If, he, if, if and when he was saying that, did they remember that he was the food, that he would sustain them? And I think that has that was his invitation to continue to follow him to to this five to this group of five thousand and to stay hungry for him. So when John, my husband and I were um, stationed, he was in the Air Force. I was not. We're stationed at Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana. We always joked that on Sunday, so we left this sweet little First Baptist Bossier, and um, it's just right. It's a little city right next to Shreveport, and. Um, when in our route home, there's always a Luby's. So Luby's is like the cafeteria, you know, buffet, more like a cafeteria style food. 
Um, and it was always lined up outside the door. 12.05, there was a line out the door with varying hats and florals and ties, like families. Like, it was always, always crowded. And it always made me laugh. And unfortunately, I learned that they closed. But they're still open in Texas. So if you ever find your way in Texas, I guess go have a Luby's. But, um, <laughs> but, and also, like, growing up, it's, I don't know what it is about cafeterias, but my, we would take my grandma sometimes to eat, and we would always go to the MCL in Carmel, and I don't understand what this was. Maybe somebody, feel free to come and share me, share with me afterwards, but my dad would always get, oh, it's just so, it was like white bread and meatloaf with mashed potatoes in the middle, and it was all covered in gravy. And I have, I to this day, do not, not know what that monstrosity was. But I don't know if you could tell, the cafeteria experience is not were really my ideal date night. So we don't typically do. Oh, okay, Beef Manhattans. So thank you. Did not know that. I appreciate that. Um... What has me thinking about food um, <laughs> is how often we can have a ton of options, but we have no idea what we're hungry for. Our walk with Jesus was never meant to be a buffet because he is enough. Far too often, I think we look at hunger as not a gift. And we can mislabel it, and we don't even recognize maybe what we're feeling. Counselors will often say, if you're angry, follow the anger and what's underneath it. And a lot of the times, at least in my experience, it's sadness. Or it has been sadness. No one really, I mean, nobody likes the unsettled, uneasy feelings of being hunger. Or the, the pain that off, hunger offers, excuse me. And if I'm honest about my own hunger, if I'm not full with Jesus... I'd rather have a drink or three or flip through social media or whatever that thing is that you go to. It's so much, sometimes that quick fix is so much easier. That dopamine hit, that quick, like, that will satiate my hunger. But what happens is you do that long enough, you ignore the hunger long enough, and your hunger will actually go away. I mean, the Lord doesn't take away the gift. But you can, like, you've, you've ever been hungry enough that you're like, I'm so hungry, I don't want to eat. You don't feel good. And I think we have to be careful how we manage our hunger and what we do with it, how we cultivate it. I'm somebody who can be, like, super future-oriented, so it can be easy for me. If something's uncomfortable, I can just begin to think about, oh, let's just do this. Let's think about, you know... I don't know, I'm feeling whatever in a way, and I start thinking about what I'm going to do for vacation or Christmas. How do I want to decorate this year for Christmas? It's always the same. But anyway, you get the idea. There's always, I don't have, as much as I love Christmas, I don't have that many decorations. Shocking. But there's always something that, that you can change, like you can focus on, and it will completely distract you from the true hunger that the Lord is leading you into his presence. And Jesus has opened up a place in us that he's offered us the gift of hunger that he can't, he's the only one that can fill. And if you'll give me a second for this cheesy statement, 
Really, he has given us a Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts. And he is the only one that can fill that hunger. And this is going to be maybe a hard word for some to hear, but he's the, his hunger will drive us into his presence, but it can also be the thing that will drive us away from our presence. From his presence, excuse me. Because if you haven't settled in your heart where you'll go when you're hungry, you will not go to him. Jesus said just prior to this in Matthew 5, you're blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they will be filled. We're blessed when we're hungry. Our uncomfortable feeling is a blessing. It's a gift. And it's a gift because he said, I'm going to give it to you, and then I'm going to fill you up. It's a promise. Like, we can take that one to the, like, there's plenty of things we can take to the bank. But I think it's so important to remember that he promised, like, there's two parts of it. He didn't just give us the gift of hunger, but he gave us the gift of the promise that he'll fill us up. I had a, um, oh, I still have a friend. I said had, but I have this friend, Nancy Hendrickson, our, one of our amazing worship pastors. Um, when we were on staff in one of our prayer rhythms, she said something that stuck with me, and I have yet to let it go. And I probably say it back to the Father at least twice a week. And she said that uh, it is my honor to need him. And so I'm constantly remembering, reminding the Father, it's my honor to need you. Because unfortunately for me, I'm too self-sufficient for my own good. And I need him to be hungry for him. I have pride, and a lot of time my pride and my self-sufficiency says I'm good. I've got this. Like, I've got my quiet time, and now I'm good for, I don't know, sometimes a couple days, sometimes a week. Because life gets busy, and I think, I don't think that's the problem. I just sort of coast through life. And before, I hadn't settled in my heart what I was going to do when I got hungry. Because I hadn't recognized truly what the hunger was in me and what I needed. So I get busy, and then there's this unconscious narrative of my unmet needs that make me hungry, and so I go fill it up with whatever. And we have to let go of ourselves and our, and our ability, excuse me, to manage our own lives and our self-importance. We are not that. We don't have what we need. Jesus is the only one that can give us what we need. When a shepherd plans his trip to take the sheep up to the grazing pasture. It's called in Spanish, it's called the mesa, which is the table. So before he takes them, he'll leave just after the snow, and as it begins to melt, he'll make his way up the mountain. And the whole time he's going up there, he's scouting out the best route, the best place to graze, all the while looking for the thing that will kill, poison. Um, he's watching for... Um, uh, predators, like his whole reason for going before they leave to go up to the pasture, the high, the high ground in the summer, is to scout out and keep it safe for his sheep. Because when his sheep are hungry and he hasn't been, been attentive and cared for them, they will wander and they will eat whatever it is they can find. And when they do that, invariably they will eat something that will make them sick or will kill them. Um... When David writes 
that you have prepared a mesa or a table in the presence of my enemies. He knew what it entailed to care for his sheep. What he was saying to God was, God, you keep a watchful eye of me when I'm at the table in the field of your goodness. Nothing will come near me and nothing will harm me when I'm near you. When the shepherd, and I will say this all the time because this is like my, this, this is my life's message, I think, is Psalm 23. When the shepherd is in the field, he makes all the difference to the sheep. The sheep have peace. However, there are four things that the sheep absolutely have to have in order to lay down or have that restful sort of chewing on their cud sort of, that was, yeah, that was not a pleasant thought. But anyway, you get the idea. Um, Sort of that restful, lay down, don't want to move, peaceful feeling like the song. One of those things that they need is to have a complete absence of hunger. Now, they can have the other three things met, but as long as they're hungry, they will never rest. They have, yeah, so one of those is free from strife within the flock. They have to be free of flies, parasites, sort of. That's where we get, he anoints my head with oil. And then they also have to have a, an ability to be free from all fears. So they have to have the shepherd in sight. When the shepherd's in sight, they'll have peace. Whoops. But if those she- but as long as those three things are met, if those sheep are still hungry, they will wander and go looking for food. They will not have peace. They will not rest. And we're we're no different. Their desperation and unattentive shepherd will lead them to unhealthy and dangerous food in many cases. Um, a quote that Randy had given me, um, and he wasn't sure who said it. I think he sent me a text yesterday. He thinks it was Augustine that says, desire is not bad. It's created by God, but it's disordered desires that really hurt us. So, and we've all heard that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and I think it's good to start with a good meal. Everything has to come from us being fed. Because you cannot give away what you don't have. And I was thinking about this. I'm, I have my moments <laughs> when I'm, have you ever been around somebody who's hungry and they're like, they kind of get hangry? They kind of get, Rah. Um, When you're hungry long enough, you, be get, you get agitated and you're unsettled. And, it, and you can't, yeah, you cannot carry, you can't steward what you haven't been given. So you can't give it away. And Jesus' man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That was Matthew 4, 4. And John 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. So he alone will be the only thing that will sustain us and will fill us. And we get our word, or we get our food from God's word. In Psalm 17, 15, it says, As for me, I will be vindicated and will see your face. And when I awake, I will be satisfied seeing your likeness. Just looking at the face of Jesus satisfies us. I don't think it's as hard as maybe we tend to think it is. Um, I do anyway, because sometimes I'm a black and white thinker. And I'm like, how do I eat? you, Jesus. 
And he's like, look at me. Like, like take me in. Take in who I am and what I do. Jesus said, I have food that you know nothing about. And I think that's the food that I long for. I want the food that I don't know about. I want to live in a place where the anticipation of his word is greater than my own desire to be fed. We can't squeak by with what we've been doing in a previous season to, do, to sustain what he's doing in this season. When we mislabel our hunger, we eat the wrong things. And what we eat is what we grow an appetite for. The desire to feel something other than uncomfortable, super vulnerable moment, is why I can't do prescription pain pills. It's why I choose not to drink. I can have a drink, but I just choose not to because I know if I'm not filling up, that's just where I'm going to go. I also have addiction in my family, so I'm just careful with those things because when I'm hungry... I'm just going to go to the place of least resistance because it's, we're meant to be filled. We, we are, we're meant to be satisfied. And I think for me too, like I just, I long, I long to feel that satisfaction and then I want to be hungry again because I want more. We can also cover our hunger with religion. We can serve and do and, and yeah. Stop serving because you're uncomfortable. And you can't sit still with the unfamiliar feeling of being hungry. As I might say, knock it off. If you know, you know. That's just a little funny for my some of my friends. I believe this is your invitation to the table. If I don't tend to my hunger and steward this gift, I will be hangry until I just no longer feel hungry again. And then I'll be, I don't know, I can't, this was just off the top of my head and I can't think of that word, but sort of lazy, complacent. What I allow myself to, feed, to be fed will be where I go when I'm hungry the next time. Because what you crave is not necessarily what you're hungry for. And we have to steward and cultivate our hunger for God because we need God to be hungry for God. So, can I, um, so that's my message. And I have two groups that I want to call up for ministry time. So those who are hungry, but you're eating the wrong things. And you don't know how to feast on Jesus. You don't. And I'm going to say this. If you don't know how to eat the goodness of the Lord and feast on him, find somebody. There are plenty of people. Talk to me. Talk to Adam. There are plenty of us who have, like some of the older people, the Hannah Waltz, like some of these people who have cultivated this deep place with the Father and know how to feast and know how to sit in the presence of God and be full. Find somebody and get discipled. Get in a community group or a small group. 
Um, you can no longer use the excuse that I don't know what it looks like to eat the Lord. I don't know what it looks like to feast on his goodness. So if that's you, like find somebody. If you're, if you're no longer feeling hungry anymore, come up and get prayer and let, let the Holy Spirit rock your world and stir you up and get you hungry again for him. And then if you're hungry and you're feasting on the wrong things. So, yeah, um, I think we also had, did we have a? So go ahead and come on up. Can I invite the prayer ministry team up? Please. And I think Nick had a word. We had a word of knowledge. Yeah. We just got the impression this morning when we were praying that um, for healing, for people who have any kind of nervous system problems, um, especially tingling, especially numbness, especially below the knee. So if that's you, um, please come up and we'll be happy to pray for you. Yeah, so I invite you to come up and get prayer. If there's anybody else that can be on the ministry team, yeah, so we'll... Pray for people that are wanting to be hungry.